Whenever Jesus referred to God, he always referred to him as his father. You ever notice that when you read the Bible? Almost every time Jesus referred to God, whenever he referred to him, he referred to him as his father. As a matter of fact, the only time that Jesus did not refer to him as father was when he was on the cross and had become sin, okay, where he became sin, who knew no sin. It was on the cross where God laid the sin of the world upon him, and that is where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every other time when Jesus spoke about God, he spoke about him as being the father. So we must understand this, that he is God to everyone. He is God to everyone, but he is only father to some. All right? God is God to everybody, whether people choose to recognize his existence, whether people choose to hate him, love him, you know, whatever. He is God to everybody, okay? But he is only a father to some, all right? Now, it doesn't take brain surgery to figure out who he's the father. Well, he's the father of his children. And we have become children of God by having faith, by proclaiming faith and, and professing Jesus as Lord. We become children of God and he becomes our father, So he is a father to those who have entered into a relationship with him. And in Romans 8, chapter 15, it says, For we have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. And now our view of God being our father can sometimes be distorted because of relationship with earthly fathers or maybe the lack of a relationship with an earthly father. We know that all of our earthly fathers, as great as they might be or as poor as they might be, every single one of them are, are, you know, have failings, they have shortcomings, they have, we have grown up in homes where fathers have made mistakes, they have said things that maybe they shouldn't have said or done things that they shouldn't have done. And you know, a lot of times we've experienced that, but every person that is, you know, that, that lives on this earth, aside from Jesus, has, has made those mistakes. We've all had those shortcomings. We've always had those moments, and we've grown up, and, and a lot of times, you know, when, um, when, when Christians, we talk about Jesus being a father, you would think that that would bring about good memories, but there's a lot of people in this world that grow up in an environment where the idea of a father brings about bad memories or, or really bad things because of abuse or other things that might happen, and you might actually be in that situation when we think about or try to relate God as being a father, you know, our understanding of a father is not real great because uh, of shortcomings that we relate with our earthly father. And so what I want to do today is I want to I highlight four character qualities of our heavenly father, all right? And it doesn't matter what kind of environment you've grown up in. It doesn't matter what kind of father that you had or how fatherhood was, mo- was modeled to you. It's really easy in our, li- our lives just to become what we've seen. It's really easy in our lives just to become what was modeled in front of us. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I've had this experience many times in my life that I, I, I'll know people, I'll know kids that will grow up in a house where the father is an alcoholic and they will, and they will absolutely hate 
alcohol because of what it did to their father and how and what kind of relationship that created only for that kid to grow up and become in his early 20s and mid-20s and to become a father himself and become an alcoholic too, all right? It's really easy to follow the paths that were kind of set before us uh, and, and sometimes you know, those paths aren't always the best, and maybe they were really good. Maybe you had a, you know, you were fortunate, you had just a, you know, an A-plus, you know, father. And even at times, you know, he made mistakes, and because we all do, and there have been times even in my life where I've made mistakes. But today I want to point out four qualities of our Heavenly Father, and what we can look as we are in relationship with this Heavenly Father. One of the things that we know is that we can look and, at, at our Father and see who He is and if we can adopt those qualities in our life it'll only make us a better father it'll only make us better because when we become more and more like jesus we become more and more like our father in heaven and that's exactly what god wants to do that he would continue to mold us and shape us so that we become more and more like him and god wants to do that inside of you and so these four qualities today that i want to highlight i want to point out to you number one is that god is good Amen. God is a good God. He is just, he is everything about God flows from his goodness. And you can go over a multitude of scripture all throughout the Bible that points over and over and over to the goodness of God. He is, he is just good. Sometimes, sometimes we, we think about good and we don't really think that good is really that good. We think we ought to be great. But good is good because God is good. We know that God is also great. But there's a lot of talk throughout the Bible that refers to the fact that God is just, he is good. And God wants you to be good. You know, to have that quality about yourself that there is a consistent goodness about who you are. There's, there is a consistent goodness in your life that you are becoming a good person, that you live a good life. In Matthew chapter 19, 17, it says, and he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. This is referring to his father. In Nehemiah 9, 20, it says, God's spirit is good. In Psalms 34, 8, it says, taste and see that God is good. Okay, that the Lord is good. In Acts 10, 38, it says, Jesus went about doing good. Jesus went about all of Jerusalem and Judea doing good and healing those who were oppressed of the devil. This is what Jesus did. He went around just doing good. In Matthew 7, 11, it says that he gives good gifts. In Romans 8, 20, 28, it says, all things work for good. That God is able to work all things for our good because he is good. You see, God is not the author of bad things, but he does. But what he does is he makes all things that happen to us work for our good. Oh, obviously, for those who are loved and uh, those though he loves us, all of us, and those who are called according to his purpose, we got to be living in his purpose. We got to be following his plan. We got to be following him and being Christ followers. All right? When we are doing that, we know that the Bible says that all things that happen to us, that God works it out for our good. 
In Psalm 72, 18, it says, he, he only does wonderful or good things. There are 370 times in the Bible where good, the word good, is connected to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. 370 times where the word good is connected to our Father. 370 times. In James 1, chapter 17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, come down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from our Father. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It's not from Walmart. It's not from Target, Bass Pro Shop, okay, uh, Dollar General. I don't know if they have good gifts there. I'm just throwing a store out that just kind of came to my mind. Don't hate me. Every good gift comes from above. Every good gift comes above. From above. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, here's where we read it says, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? When, he, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give, Good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? You see, Jesus is looking at these people and he's saying that they were good fathers, but in comparison to the heavenly father, we don't even compare. We don't even compare. In Psalms 25, 8, it says, good and upright is the Lord. In Psalms 34, 8, it says, basically, It's basically saying that God our Father wants us to experience his goodness. So you may have had some bad circumstances that's surrounding you, but that doesn't change the goodness of God. And don't confuse your circumstances with God. Okay, don't confuse your circumstances with God's goodness. Okay, don't judge God's goodness based upon how good it has been for you lately. We go through stuff because it's called, it's something that's called life. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. And God's goodness is not determined by whether or not things are good for you all the time. Because sometimes they're just not. And sometimes we go through some junk because we need to grow in our faith. And sometimes we go through some junk because we made some poor decisions. You know what I'm saying? All right. Don't blame God. You got a speeding ticket because you were speeding. That was a poor decision. It wasn't God not being good to you. All right. And it's not an attack from the devil, at least as far as I can tell. All right. But God is not Santa Claus either. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, know, you hear the song, you better watch out. You better not cry. You, you better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. He knows when you, when you are sleeping, which is kind of creepy. All right. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been Bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You see, you know, don't be confused in thinking that God is like Santa Claus because God is not, is not good to you because you've been good 
or because you do good things. And we kind of went over this a couple weeks ago and we talked about our righteousness and referring to the armor of God. God is not good to you because you are good. He is good to you because he loves you, because he created you. And it has nothing to do with how good you are or being good for goodness sakes or you, you better not pout or any of those kinds of things. God is just always going to be good to you because he loves you, he cares for you, and he's going to be a good person. And it's the same quality that we should have in our life, that we are good, that we live good lives. And there's nothing shameful about being a good person, about living a good life, about, you know, be, you know allowing our family to experience the goodness of our father inside of our, our relationship. That we are good to them. We express goodness to the people around us. We express that goodness. The second thing that he is, is that he is a giver. He is a giver. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 11, we just kind of read this, that he, you know, if you, an earthly father, know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father will give good gifts. God gives. We see one of the probably most well-known verses throughout the scripture is for God so loved the world that he gave. I read a book uh, many years ago, many years ago, 15 years ago or so. um, And it was a book on servanthood. And um, I I think it was like, um, I think it was Andy Stanley or something like this who wrote this book. And um, I remember one of the chapters in there, he talks about generosity. He talks about giving. And one of the things that's always stuck with me is, is, um, is a story that he told uh, in, in this particular thing. Uh, in, in World War II, after the war was over and all of this, um, um, this stuff was going on and, and these cities had been demolished and destroyed over in Europe and everything and um, you know, buildings were, there was one of the problems in that particular time was, um, you know, kids filling the streets who were orphans. They, they hadn't have, um, they didn't have parents because they had been killed in war or something happened. And you had all these kids that were running the streets that had no, no parents and therefore nobody taking care of them. And uh, he tells a story about a, a, a soldier who, was walking along and he saw a kid standing in front of a window where there were donuts. And the kid was just looking in the window at the donuts and he was all by himself. And And a soldier walked up to the kid and he said, hey, buddy. He, he said, would you like one of those? And the kid nodded. And, and so he said, all right, come on. So he took him inside and he went in there and he bought him a couple of donuts. And they put the donuts in a bag and he gave the little, he's like, here, buddy, man. Enjoy this. And as he began to walk away, the kid grabbed him by his jacket and pulled on him, made him turn around. And the kid said, sir, are you God? And he makes this point. He says, you are never more like God than when you give. For God so loved the world that he gave. His love motivated him to give. God is a giver. He's a giver. You cannot at any point ever in your life, ever, ever, ever outgive God, ever. You cannot give him so much that he can't flip it back. And listen, I have heard countless stories and testimonies over my life, through the course of my life, of people that did, 
you know, that experienced and did radical acts of generosity only for God to just take it and just flip it back around on them and, and just blow their mind. There will never ever be a point in, in your life where you will ever out. You could take all the money that you possess right now and give it to God. And I promise you, you still will not outgive him. Because he will find a way to flip it back around to you in a greater way. Why? Because the Bible says it. It's one of his promises. He's going to be faithful to fulfill his promises. All right? Um, there's a pastor, I believe it, uh, it's Rick Warren out in California that he actually now, he actually, he's gotten to the place in his life where he can, and, and he didn't start out like this, but he actually reversed tithes. Okay. He actually gives 90% and lives off of 10% of his income. He couldn't do that at one point in his life, but he said every year, what we decided to do is we decided to give God more. He said, so we started out just giving our tithes. He said, the next year we'd say, well, we're going to give 11%. Or the next year it'd be, well, we're going to do, let's do 15%. And then every year they would say, you know what? I'm going to give God more. I'm gonna, this year we're going to give God more. And they kept upping it, upping it, upping it. And now he, he, lives, his, he lives off of 10% and he gives back 90% of his income. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being such a, a, listen, that right there is only a testament to the generosity of God. Okay? Because he's not going to live, he can't, he can't, he's not going to be able to live off of $10,000. You know what I'm saying? If he's making 100000 he's giving away ninety. he's not going to be able to live off of $10,000. You can't live off of that. Okay? If anything, as he continued to give to God, it only showed that God began to pour it back. And God began to blow it. Because why? Because God is a giver. He is a giver, and he is, he is generous. He does exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think, right? Doesn't the scripture say that he does exceedingly and abundantly above he goes above and beyond. He, just, he doesn't just ask us to walk the extra mile. He sets the example for us by going exceedingly above and beyond all we could ask or think. This is what the scripture says that God is. He is a, he is a giver. You see, we will have a hard time asking for good things from God if we think God is harsh and difficult to talk to. But we know that he is good. And it establishes that goodness. That he loves us. And we know that it says that God so loved the world that he gave. And he said that I'm going to show you how much I love you. By giving to us even when we don't deserve it. That God gives to us even when we don't deserve it. We already referred to this passage in James chapter 117. says that all Good gifts come from above. All good gifts, good and perfect gifts, comes from above. God is a giver. He wants to give to you. You know that? You know God wants to give you dreams. He wants to give you visions. You know God wants to give you success. He wants to give you a testimony, a mission, a passion. He's a giver. I believe that God influences, even raises that you receive from your employers. 
I believe that God is the influence behind raises that you get from the people that you know, from your employers, the people that you work for. When you receive a raise, I believe that is God inspired. That God is doing that and he has done because God is a giver. All right. But the Bible says that we have to ask, of course, if you ask, you'll receive. All right. I'm not going to receive if we don't ask. All right. But God is a giver. That's the second thing. The, the third thing that we see is that our heavenly father is gracious. He is full of grace. Okay? God is good. He is generous. And he is gracious. He is full of grace. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17, it says, They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds for which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return them to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. God is gracious. Everything about God works through his grace. Aren't you glad that God is gracious towards you? Shouldn't that inspire you to live with grace? Huh? To live with a little bit of grace in your life. That, hey, when, yeah, you know what? You know, when my kids mess up, when they make a mistake, you know, they need to, you know, they need to, you know, they need to understand that they've got to change and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we're actually going to go over that here in a second, okay? But also that I have grace, that I understand that I can display grace where grace needs to be displayed. That it's not going to be all flying off the handle for me. It's not going to all me raising cane. I actually heard somebody the other day, it says one of the, actually, no, I read this morning, a good friend of mine who's, who's a pastor, he said, uh, he was giving fatherly advice. He said, you know one of the reasons why it's not a good idea to raise your hand to one of your children? Because you remove your hand from protecting your groin area. You know what I'm saying? You can't protect yourself anymore. It's way up here. You leave yourself. All right? it's, it's one of those fatherly advice. If you've got boys, you know what I'm talking about. It's the way it goes. All right? All right? But it's, it's, it, you, it's not all about raising Cain and doing this and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's about grace, too. It's about compassion. It's being gracious. God is not a Cain raiser. He's also very gracious. Okay? And the way that he treats us and the way that he, yes, you know what? He doesn't want us to live in sin. Yes, he doesn't want us to do the wrong thing and yes you know sometimes we 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 pay a price for our wrongdoing yes all of that is true and god says that he disciplines those he loves yes all of that is true but he is also very gracious and he is also very kind all right even in the midst of having to deal with that he is a gracious and 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 god towards us and we have to live and display that same grace in the midst of, of, of being a man, being a father uh, to, to our children. We have to have the same grace uh, as well. You know, <clears throat> um, grace is God's unmerited favor. It is favor. It is the favor of God upon your life. Our salvation begins in grace and it ends in grace. We don't do anything because we are afraid of God's judgment. It's all about uh, his grace. So what happens if, you know, what happens if we, like, don't read the Bible? Well, it's not that God's going to come and slap you across, but maybe, maybe you should get hungry. That's what happens when you don't read the Bible, right? Because the Bible, Bible you know, Scripture talks about this being our daily bread. 
all right? The word of God being bread. Maybe when we don't eat and we're not in the word, maybe it should make us hungry. Instead of this thing where we feel like that God is going to come and whack us top of the head and say, you know, what's, what's the matter with you? All that kind of stuff. All right, God is a gracious God. He is good to you. He's good to me. And we could see this example that God has for us, that we can live with grace as well, all right? That we can give out un, unmerited favor to people around us. And that, it really comes from our ability to have love, the way that God has love, that we can give people grace, okay? We can give them grace. We can live a life giving them grace. And maybe that means not always expecting the worst. Maybe that means not always expecting them to fail. Maybe that means speaking positively and expecting good things. Uh, you know, I believe, I believe that people will live up to or down to the level of your expectations. All right? So if you expect people to fail around you, they'll probably fail. And if you expect people to succeed around you, they will probably succeed. All right? But we have to have the same kind of grace. God looks at us. He has grace upon our lives. He has grace for the things that are failures and our shortcomings in our life. And we need to have the same kind of grace. And then the last thing that we see here um, that I want to point out, and of course there's a lot of different attributes of God, but just referring to him as being our father that I think is applicable for us is we see that God was good. He is generous. He is full of grace. And lastly, our Heavenly Father provides guidelines. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. All right? Here in the scripture, the Bible is saying that God will discipline you as a son of his. All right? God will discipline you as a son of his. And we see throughout the Bible that God establishes perimeters. And there's a reason why there are perimeters. Those perimeters are there for protection. And the problem is is that oftentimes when when we lack spiritual maturity, we think those perimeters are there to... to, to, um, to hinder us. They're, they're there to keep us from being able to have fun or they're, try, they're there to, to ruin our lives or, to, or to, to make us like stick in the muds or something like that. And we, we think that these perimeters there are to keep us from, you know, enjoying all the aspects and the things of life, you know. Um, but God establishes those perimeters there to protect us. Just like in our life, we establish perimeters with our children and a lot of times we do this to protect them. No, do not run out in the street. The reason why I don't want you in the street is because I'm trying to protect you. Okay? God has established perimeters. We understand things that our children do not understand. We see things before our children can see them coming. Okay? We are aware of things that they have no idea that, that, that are, even exist. In the same way as with our Heavenly Father, He is aware of things that we don't see coming. He's able to see things that we don't see. He's able to understand things that we don't understand. Okay? He's, he, he gets the broader picture. Okay? That you know, our relationship to our children is like our 
our relationship with our father, except we're on the child end of it. And we have to trust that when God says, hey, don't do this, don't participate in this, don't be like this, okay, that there is a specific reason why God is uh, putting this parameter in our life and it's to protect us and to make sure that we can live a life of fullness and not see calamity and destruction fall upon us. So he puts those perimeters in our life to help us, to help guide us, to help us understand okay, that, that there are certain spiritual laws that we all abide by, whether we like it or not. We all are under, okay, and these things will happen to us if we don't abide by his perimeters. And, and you can't break those laws for long and think that everything is just going to be okay. All right? You, it just, it's, it's, it's no different that... My child could, one of my children could run out in the street and think, well, I didn't get hit by a car. I must be okay to run the street. I don't know what my dad was talking about. Right? The same way with us, sometimes we do the wrong thing. We're like, well, I didn't get get caught. Nothing bad happened to me, so maybe it's not that big a deal. Right? It's it's the way, that's the way sin works. We, we, We generally are never... We, we, are, we are never punished for our sin immediately, and we are never rewarded for our obedience immediately. Um, and I, I, we actually, I actually, I think, I don't know, it's been a while. I preached a sermon on this, how everything in the kingdom of God works on a delayed basis. Um, everything inside the kingdom of God, the promises of God, all this stuff, they work on a delayed basis. Um, you know, generally speaking, generally speaking, it's not, not everything. But generally speaking, uh, when you pray for something, it doesn't happen like right away. It just, it just doesn't. Uh, when, we, when we are punished for our sin, when we, receive the, the, when we pay the price for our sin, it generally never happens the moment we do it. And, the, and what happens is, is because it doesn't happen the moment we do it, we never, we never tie what we're going through to what we did that created what we were going through. We don't realize that it was this action, it was this, this, this disobedience to a directive that God gave us that's causing us to go through what we're having to go through right now. And because we, we don't tie the two together, we don't recognize that it's that sin that's creating the problem in our life. It's the same with obedience. Sometimes what happens is like, it's like, like what I was talking about earlier, like giving the tithes. Like, God, I, I've, been, God I've been paying my tithes for the past three weeks and nothing's changed in my in, in, in my income, nothing's changed in my finances. I, you know, I don't know what this pastor's talking about, but you know, it sure ain't working for me. Well, everything in the kingdom of God works on a delayed basis. It's not going to happen. You're not going to listen. If you, if you know, the Bible says, "Given will be given." Press down, shaking together, run home. Give. Listen, I'll give back ten, a hundredfold. If every time you came to church, you put a hundred dollars in the offering plate, you went home and you found a check in the mail anonymously from somebody for, you know, ten thousand dollars. Let me tell. What do you think you'd be doing every week you came to church? <laughs> you'd be writing them out, All right? But it doesn't work that way. Why? Because it works on faith. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. All right? If you see it every time you do it, it's not faith. All right? So uh, you have to, and, and it's the same way with sin. 
God establishes these boundaries. Our Heavenly Father establishes these boundaries because he wants us to know okay, that this is how we live a blessed life. This is how we become more and more like Jesus. This is how we become the men and women of God that God wants us to be by, by, by loving him and following him. And when we follow him, it'll keep us from you know, going off on these you know, areas that, that he said, hey, you, you know, the, the, the life of the Spirit doesn't live like this. I'm not going to get into all of those kinds of things that are all throughout the Word of God. You need to know those. You know, but we as parents, we're, you know, we have a responsibility to train our children. So we give guidelines. And if they break outside of those guidelines, then we have to do something to discipline them in some way, to motivate them in some way. Whether we use fear motivation or whether we use incentive motivation, we generally use something to motivate them to get back on track, to do what it is that they're supposed to do. Um... And um, we see that God does the same thing here. Actually, the word that was used here in Hebrews chapter 12 in the King James is a word that's called chastening. Um, And actually, that particular word is actually used to describe like child training and rearing. It's a word picture of like putting a child in a gymnastics class to train that child to win a gold medal. That's really what it's talking about, that God is in the process, our Father is in the process of training us, and He wants us to be disciplined so that we can win the gold medal. And so we teach, you know, our kids to follow the guidelines so that they can be all that God wants them to be, and this has to be our motivation. That, so that one day when they, you know, you know, teaching our kids, teaching our children, you know, we want, you know, to come under authority is important because there will never be a point in your entire life where you are not under authority. As far as I know, even if you get to a place where, say, maybe you have your own business, okay, and you are your own boss, you are still under authority. That authority may come from um, local uh, you know, city, state, or, or national government. You're under their authority. And the best of all is you're going to always be under the authority of God. You're always going to be under him. You're always going to be under his guidance and leadership. And if we don't train our children to be under authority, we don't establish perimeters and then, you know, make sure that we stick to those perimeters, then we're not teaching our children to, uh, to, to come under authority, which puts them in a position where one day when they grow up and they get older and they get a job and they're under somebody's authority and they don't know how to follow the authority of their boss, they're going to lose their job because they don't know how to do what they've been asked to do. And it's the same way in our lives, that God wants us to come under that authority. He wants us to come under this, this thing so that we can be the person that God wants to be, so we can not, not allow the things that are on the outside to come in and to affect us and to hurt us and, and, and to mess up the direction and the course and, and the purpose of our lives. So when we do things outside of God's boundaries, and then we blame God for the problems that we have, we need to understand that we are reaping the results of our own stupidity. We're reaping the results of our own disobedience, our own rebellion. And it's just easy to do. I see people do it all the time. They, they want to blame God for the mess that they've made in their lives. And the reason why they're in the position that they're in is because they refuse to listen to what God told them to do.
And this, you know, cover, encompasses every aspect of who we are. Uh, uh, you know, our attitudes, the way that we treat other people around us, the way that we treat, um, you know, our kids, our family, all of those kinds of things. All right? All of this is, is encompassing that, that, that God has told us how to live. He's told us how to think. He's told us how to, 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 to treat other people. All right? And we, we have to know that. And the way that we know that is by reading the Word of God, is by, by submitting yourself to, to teaching and, and preaching of the Word and, and your own devotion and reading. Right, so that you can know what it is that God, how God wants you to live. And when you know how God wants you to live and, and where he wants you to go, then you can live in freedom and, and, not, and, and have peace of mind knowing that, that you're... Okay? And, and he does this for our own benefit and our own good. And so we see here... All right, we're looking here, Rob, if you'll, you'll go ahead and come. We, we, we're looking at these, these four qualities of God. That God is good. He is good. He is good. He is good. And, and the Bible talks about his goodness over and over and over again. And he sets a great example for us that we can be good as well. That we can be good. We see that God is generous. He is a giver. He loves to give. He gives because his motivation is love. And he loves to give. Every good gift comes from above. Every good gift. He's a generous person. You also see that God is gracious. He is full of grace. This unmerited favor. And he gives it away. He is a gracious person. That we can see this example that God set before us. Okay, Our Father. That he lives in grace. And if you find yourself getting angry often, if you find yourself getting upset often, learn to live in grace. And we also see that God establishes and gives us guidelines because he's out to mature us. He's out to develop maturity in us. He establishes guidelines. And we have to be that as well. You know, the Bible says, Paul says, that as fathers, we're to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture is is a word, the word in Greek that we actually translate into word nurture actually it gives a word picture of like a controlled environment of pain. That's <laughs> what it kind of gives. A, a controlled environment of pain. The reason why this is is so they don't go out into the world and experience pain without measure. And I've, I've shared this story before. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like the dentist. All right. You, you take your children to the dentist to get their teeth cleaned. All right. And that is a controlled environment of pain. All right. Um, if your if your child gets a cavity, something's wrong. They get a cavity. You take them to the dentist to get that fixed, and that is a controlled environment of pain. If you ignore that problem and let it sit there forever, 
it will eventually abscess and it will become pain without measure. Right? It will become something that you won't be able to bear. And it's the same thing when God tells us fathers, he says, fathers, raise your children in the nurture, this control, this establishing guidelines. Okay? And and, and, and dealing with it, the nurture and admission of the Lord. The problem is that sometimes it's really tempting to be one or the other. It's really tempting for us to be all about discipline and guidelines, or then sometimes it's all about a- admonition, which is what you say. So we say, don't do this, don't do that. You better not do that again. You, 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 I'm going to get you better not do this or I'm going to take away you know I'm going to I'm going to whip you you better not and then you know and that's nurture okay because it's all it's all you, you heard them they all they do is talk they all they do is tell their kids they don't do anything about it if their kids do what don't disobey all right but you got to have both and this is that, that God has called us to that we that we that we create boundaries that we we guide our children that we guide them in the direction that we create these boundaries so that they can they can go in the path that God has for them in the direction that God wants for them all right and we all it's not just about this it's also about teaching and training all right but all of this we see that God is good he is a giver he is gracious and he gives guidelines I read a book it was just a couple years ago on coach wood and about coach wood and who is y'all familiar with him anybody in here familiar with coach okay there's a few of you basketball people um, UCLA's former basketball coach many years ago that won like seven consecutive national championships. It's like never been done and never will ever be done again. I was reading one of his books on his life and his inspiration and just, you know, you could just glean so much from people like that. Just hearing their biography and, and their story and stuff. And... Um, this guy by the name of Pat Williams, he, he wrote this book, and he, he shares this one time, this one moment that he had with Coach, um, Coach Wooden. He said, one day I was visiting Coach's condo, and I noticed a picture of his mother and a father on a wall of his den. And that prompted me to ask him, Coach, how would you like to remem- be remembered at the end of your life? And without a moment's hesitation, he said, I would like to be remembered as a man who came as close as possible to being like my father. I would like to be a man. I would like to be remembered as a man who came as close as possible to being like my father. Listen, we can have that same directive and attitude in our life as well, right? I want to be remembered as a man who did as much as he could to become just like his father. I want to become just like my father. I want to be remembered for being just like him. All right? He is good. He is generous. He is gracious. And he establishes guidelines for direction. Come on, will you stand to your feet this morning?